All right, jumping into this message. Uh, this is Grace Beyond Reason. And so this whole month we're going to be talking about grace. And we're going to talk about different aspects of it. Uh, today is, I'm not really going to drill down on this is what it means and what you have to do. It's not the point. Today, I just want you to have your mind and your heart open to maybe uh, thinking about it differently, maybe having the, you know, the, the puzzle pieces moved around and just like, Lord, do I even understand grace right? Maybe it's like, well, I've been in church my whole life, I understand it. So especially you, um, to just put it aside and say, Lord, help me to understand grace again. Lord, help me to see what it's about. What does it mean? Uh, what, how am I supposed to interact with it? If you're new to the Lord, you're just coming in fresh, you know, then that God will just help you to, to get a full understanding of who he is and, and what's going on with this because this is really the, the, the crux of the whole gospel, of the whole message of Christ is his grace and his goodness towards us. And that starts all the way in Genesis and goes all the way through. It's, it's not something new that he started in the New Testament, but you see it all through the Old Testament as it points to the New uh, and we'll get into some of that as the month goes on. But today we're going to focus on just a couple stories in the Bible and also a, a real life story. And I'm going to have you guys doing some thinking and some talking. And then at the end, we're going to do our prayer groups and ask God to really open our minds this month to his grace. Uh, we're going to do our little breakout prayer huddles at the end. Um, but this, I'm going to show you a, a kind of a graph here of the evolution of mankind as, as people talk about it, as the way that they want us to believe it. Uh, you can see this is... Uh, kind of how it's supposed to be and where we're headed, right? And you go farther back, you know, it's, it's just a speck or whatever, and this is supposedly the, the path uh, that we're supposed to uh, buy into, and this is what's going on. But see, we're this close to getting to, you know, we've gone through these stages, and we're right on the precipice of, like, being RoboCop, of, like, fully, like, I can do everything. You know, I am Iron Man. I'm all these things. Like, I can do whatever. Like, I don't age. My body's got all these things. I can dunk a basketball. I can do whatever I need to do. Like, I can take care of it because I'm fully like me and I'm also the experience uh, with this. And um, that is this kind of like this growth and improvement and everything else. And we look around and we're like, man, like I thought we were getting better, but this doesn't feel like it's necessarily better. We're more disconnected. We're more like isolated. We're more self-focused. And we kind of have gone this direction. Well, which one's true? And I would say uh, that the way God sees things is probably what we should go by as truth. And here's how God actually sees things. And this is coming out of Genesis chapter 6, 5 through 6. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Well, I don't like that. I don't like it either. But God looked down, who can see not only the exterior, but the interior of every person. And when he looked down, and he looked at all that he had made, he said, I understand what they look like on the outside, but when I really look deeply at the heart and the mind of, of this humanity that I've created, that there is a reality here that's happening, and that is that they have become wicked, that the inclination of their thoughts, their heart, is evil. All They're always scheming. Even when they do good works, it's in order to get praised or to get a blessing or to get something else out of it. Even when they're, they're uh, trying to have patience, they're angry about something they shouldn't have been angry about. They're, they're always scheming and working for their, their own improvement, for their betterment, and they don't have my heart. And it says that the Lord regretted that he had, that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Amen. Let's go home. Have a great week. 
This is how he felt looking down. You say, well, that's harsh. Okay, we know only a little bit about humanity because we only know the outside and then what ends up coming out in court or on TV or what finally gets let out a secret. And how many of you have looked around in the last week, month, year at some point and said, man, this world is nuts. Everyone is terrible. Is there any good people left? And that's when we only know what's going on outwardly. God knows all of it. All of it. Everything. Everything about you. Everything about what you do. Everything about what you think. Everything about what you feel. Everything about the other person. All of it. All the time. And so he knows. And faced with that reality that he made man upright, and it wasn't that we were low and we came up and became erect, but that he created us erect and we became low. The opposite's actually been happening since creation. And so when we look at that, Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, who's the wisest man the Bible says that ever lived, after all of his searching and all of his wisdom and all of his discoveries, he said, only this have I found. He said, I have discovered that God made men upright, but they have sought out many schemes. And so Solomon, in his wisdom, looks at everything, and he had access to everything as a king, and he had money and relationships and, and things all over, the people from all over the world would come and visit him to gain his wisdom. And after interacting with all the cultures, all the people, all the stuff, he looks and he says, God made us upright, and we find a way to bring everything down. That's what's happening. This is heavy, but this is the, this is the groundwork. This is the base of where grace comes in. It doesn't come in when we're good people. It doesn't come in when we're like, hey, hey, I'm doing pretty good, I'm making it, can I get an extra hand up? It, God came into this. When it says God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life and they wouldn't perish, it wasn't saying like all these good people. He was looking at this reality and he's saying, you know what, I'm gonna bring a solution to that and that's what Christ was, is to come and save all this wickedness and horribleness needs to be punished, and the punishment was put on him on the cross. And then he died, and then he rose again into new life. He gives us the same opportunity to, to receive that and to put our, our old self down and to come up new in him and, and to receive that he's paid the price for us and to come up new. And that's the whole story of grace where the base is. That's, a, that's the beginning of it. But I want to put us in God's shoes for a minute today and just have us think through some scenarios of how God's grace might work. So I'm going to let you be the judge. And... Think this through, but this is, you know, human trafficking's been in the news a lot uh, lately, you know, with the movies and, and just in media and social media and, and different things. So uh, there's a story I read, and this was a true story, and in this story there were some siblings, and they actually sold um, one of the teens in the family, they sold them into trafficking, which is hor horrifying to even think about or read. Okay. Some of the context, it wasn't in the U.S., it was in another country, but some of the context, as you're thinking this through, is that one, not saying this justifies anything, but one, in the country that it happened, it was legal. I'm not saying it should be. These are, we're thinking, putting on our thinking caps. It was a legal transaction. Sold them. The siblings, which is horrible, I'm glad I don't have these kind of siblings, that did this, um, they had done this to the one who was really 
actually not even a great sibling, uh, was very much favored by the parents, very much uh, got all the best things, took care of him, did all these things, and the really Lord kind of showed it off, flaunted it, you know, made fun of them, did whatever, like put it in their face. Um, that doesn't justify it either, but this is the context. I'm just giving you context as you read the story. And the parents were very much geared towards this one teen and not towards the other ones. So the thing, it was very dysfunctional family situations. Anybody ever been in any of those situations? You're in a family where like one is like always taken care of and loved and praised and all the other ones are bad and no good. Or you've been in where you just like have a sibling and you can't stand them. Or you've been in a situation where, um, you know, you're a parent and you don't have, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of dysfunction happening is the point. And they're in a country where this is illegal and this happens. But all this goes on, and then it comes to light, and you're God, and you're looking down at all of this travesty and injustice and these problems. How would you handle it? What would you do? If it was you, would you just, everything is against the traffickers? That's a pretty easy call, it feels like. Just find them all, take them out, and have them say their prayers, and that's it. Would you take the parents, because they helped kind of foster this family dynamic that led to this? What about the siblings that were in this dysfunctional family where they were put in these positions? Are you, are you taking them now and you're going to put them in, in jail and in prison? It's like a life thing that they're going to go in there. Like, how do you function at the end? Does the, does the, the teen that was using their privilege and the things that are happening with them as a, a wedge and on purpose and in a negative way, like using that, they have any culpability at all in anything at all? Or it's just like, whoo, parents are out. My brothers and sisters are all going to jail. Traffickers are dead and... I'm getting a settlement. Is there any culpability there? So some of the things, situations are often complex. And there's all kinds of things going on. For me, it's kind of easy. I mean, traffickers get no mercy. Um, I had seven kids in my family, so brothers and sisters don't get a lot of mercy. Um, you know, my, my parents, I wasn't their, their favorite, although I am now. I work hard to get there. Uh, but I wasn't their favorite, um, so I know how that was. But uh, I had to, like, Dad, if you're watching, I'm okay now. Uh, but I went through some of that. But for me, some of it would be easy. Some of it would be harder. But the traffic, that's an easy call, right? The people selling somebody out, that's an easy call. So I don't know about you, but it's things to think through. What would God do with them? What would he do with the teens? What would he do with the sibling? What would he do with the parents? What would he do with the trafficker? And I say all this, and I say it this way, because it was a true story. It's from the Bible, and we don't have to wonder what God would do, because it happened. And it's in his word, and he lays it out. I just wanted us to put aside the Bible story long enough to try to think of it in terms of how we would handle and think of it. But this is the story, actually, of Joseph out of Genesis chapter 37 through 50. So when you're reading the story of Joseph, these are the dynamics happening in this story. Joseph was favored. Joseph was given privileges. Joseph was given all these things. Joseph was arrogant. Joseph was flaunting it in front of his family. Joseph was talking about how they're all going to serve him, and he's going to be in charge, and they're going to bow down to him, and all these things, which in our culture is like, oh, you know, you're just kind of king of the hill bragging rights. In their culture, that's a much bigger deal, a much bigger deal that you're going to bow down to me and all these things. Everything was, it, was, it wasn't the democracy type stuff that we live in. It's a different situation. So he has that going on. Then you have, you know, the brothers that sold him 
into slavery, which was a legal thing to do back then. People sold and, and traded people. And the traffickers that got them and sold them off to Egypt, which brings in another party is the people that actually took them and then abused and took advantage of his life. So you have all these parties. And what did God do? Well, not what we would think. And this is where we talk about grace that's beyond reason. So I'm going to talk through, that's the passage. I'm not going through all the verses today. I'm going to trust you that if you want to read it, you can go get the passages and read through it. I'm just going to talk you through the story. Okay, the actual story, what happens to each person, okay, is Joseph goes in and experiences a lot of suffering. He's the one that was sold. He goes through all types of suffering, but God is with him in the suffering. The Bible says that God was with him in the dungeon in prison. God was with him in his suffering, that God gave him favor, that God helped him move up and move forward and come out of that and get healing and become whole and, and have his life still have value and significance. It wasn't the same life he would have had, but it was growing and it had all these things happening. And then he got knocked back down due to false accusations and more suffering. And he had to kind of, again, be humble and have God be with him and build up. So he had a hard life of going through all these things, coming out of a place of arrogance and everything's coming to me easy and all these things, which God does resist the proud. He gives grace to the humble. But this is where he was at and not that he deserved that. But he went through this whole life process of being humbled and suffering and going through all these things and then coming up and with God's favor, having his life be moved and elevated towards a place of purpose and healing. Okay, that's what happened to him. Okay, to his brothers, the ones that sold him, the ones that should be punished no matter what and be totally thrown out because you can't just sell a sibling into trafficking and into slavery. And they did. There's no mercy. There's no justice for that. What did God do? What God did is that when they went through a famine, and there was a famine in all the land, and they weren't going to have food, they weren't going to be able to eat, they were going to starve, is that God sent them to Egypt, which is where, Pharaoh, where, where uh, Joseph had been sold to, and Pharaoh ruled Egypt, and he goes there, and now Joseph has risen up, and he's in charge of things, and he has made it so everybody has food, and his brothers come. And God uses Joseph, the one that was abused and sold, to actually help them and provide for them and save them. Already there's a break from what our grace would look like, most of us. Is that God uses the abused one to save the abuser and to try to bring restoration to their life. Not only does he save them, but as the story goes on, and they go through some different things that cause them to have to reflect on what they've done and they come into a place of repentance and they're truly sorry and they're crying out. They can't believe what they did and they realize that their brother's still alive and that this is him. And as this united thing happens and they're crying about it and all these things are happening, Joseph reveals who he is and not only did they get saved, but that there was actually reconciliation. And I'm not saying everybody in here that has an abuser needs to go and start having tea with them and go to lunch. I'm just talking about this story, what happened is that he then brought in reconciliation. Not only spared them, not only saved their lives, not only provided for them, undeserved, total favor, total grace, but brought reconciliation for the wrongs that they had done. That's what God did with them. So that brings you to the parents. The parents went through suffering, the, the loss of, of this child that they thought was dead for many years, the brokenness of their family, all the suffering that they went through. Eventually, 
as this all happens, they get brought into this whole thing of getting transferred over to Egypt during the famine. They realize that their son's alive, that their family's alive, and there's a restoration that happens and a reconciliation that happens with their family. But they went through many years of suffering. They had to leave their hometown. They could no longer live there. They had to move into a foreign land and live in a foreign land. So their whole life changed, and yet God took care of them, protected them, and brought a reconciliation to their family. Not because they were the greatest parents, not because they did everything right, but somehow in God's grace and in his goodness and in his favor, he looked down and all three parties have done something, different levels we can judge, obviously, but they had all done things that were not following the heart of God. And God is finding a way in each situation so far to bring grace. But what about the traffickers? What about the ones that bought and actually put Joseph into slavery? What about them? What about the ones that had him in a dungeon? He's living in a dungeon for a long time. The ones that are falsely accusing him and doing all these things. God actually used the situation, believe it or not, to bring grace, favor. That sounds hard. I'm going to explain favor in just a second. Grace and favor even to them. Well, how did he do that? He did that because in that time of famine... Even Egypt would have been wiped out by famine, except for the fact that Joseph, the one that they abused and that they bought to abuse, God gave Joseph favor, God gave Joseph wisdom, and God then used the favor and the wisdom of Joseph to give wisdom to the Egyptians, who then went and started saving grain and storing things up because they knew that they needed to be prepared because the famine was coming. And so even in the wrong that they did, God made a pathway and a connection and a bridge into some type of favor where their nation was saved. Not only did it save, but it actually grew and prospered during that season because they were prepared. And God actually gave them a level of protection and care to try to bring them into a place potentially of repentance and change even there through his grace. All of those situations, God responded with some type of favor and grace. Should he? No. I don't think so. But it's probably good I'm not God. Because if I was God, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have responded to me with favor and grace. I know that because I've met me before. I've met other me's. I've met taller ones, shorter ones, fatter ones, skinnier ones. I've met ones with hair. There's a lot of me's that were out there. Narcissistic, addicted, angry, isolated, guys just roaming around. I've met them. And I didn't have a lot of patience or grace. Look at how I'm turning out. I'm like a dad and I've got good kids. And, and we adopted a kid and, and I do nice things. Well, that's because God saved me out of a mess when I didn't deserve it. And there was no hope or path forward for me. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have an idea of how to get better. I didn't have like, this is my 10 point steps towards becoming a better person and becoming a, trying to be a decent dad or trying to be a a faithful husband or, or someday planning a child. I didn't have any of that in my mind. All I had in my mind was when can I get the next thing that I want? I don't care what happens to anybody else. There was a time 20 years ago where I couldn't have a license. I couldn't have a debit card. I couldn't have a wallet. I wasn't allowed to. 
So my wife knew that, my dad knew that, my whole family knew that, the other pastors at the church knew that. If Andy asked for a license or he asked you to take him to the bank or he asked you for a couple dollars, anything, if he asked for anything, the answer is what? No. I didn't have a path forward. So it's easy to say, well, yeah, but God did that because, look, these things happen because God did that. Undeserved, unmerited, because of his grace. Because he looked down, when he looked down at the earth and he said, the heart of mankind is full of wickedness and selfishness and their intents are bad. He wasn't just looking at the hearts back then. He was looking all throughout time because God is before time and he's at the end of time and he's through all of time. He's not bound by it. He made it. He's outside of it. He's looking at all of it. And in that mix that he's looking at, he's looking at the whole thing and he goes, oh, and there's that Andy guy that's going to be born and he's the same. What am I going to do? And he brought grace into all of that. He brought grace into these situations. So what does that mean for us? That's something to be thinking about. Here's some other stories in the Bible. David, you can go to 2 Samuel 11 through 12. Read the story of David. David was a king. David was blessed by God. David did a lot of good things. And then David actually kills, has somebody killed. He commits adultery. He does all kinds of bad things. Eventually repents, turns his heart back to God, changes his life, changes his heart. Should he have grace? No. His friend that had been faithful and stood by his side didn't come back to life. He's still dead. Why would David get any grace? He shouldn't. And yet, somehow, I'm not saying it's right. It's what God did. I'm not saying it makes sense. It's what? Grace beyond reason. It's not reasonable. If you sit down and say, why would God do that? I don't have an answer. But you're a pastor. I don't have an answer. It's not reasonable. Not to my human mind, it doesn't make sense why God would continue to, to forgive and to be faithful to David. Rahab, a prostitute, living in the wall of an of a enemy encampment, and yet God rescues her, saves her. And not only that, but beyond reason, he makes her part of his name. There's not very many in it, Part of the named lineage of Jesus, the Savior of the world. So in the New Testament, when they talk about the lineage of Jesus, and they go back, you're reading through, and if you don't know your Old Testament, you're just reading names, dum, 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 dum. You're like, why do I have to read all these names? Well, you come along, and then boom, Rahab, and then this one and that one. If you know the Old Testament, you're reading along, and all of a sudden you go, whoa, isn't that the prostitute? Hold on a minute. Isn't that the prostitute? Jesus' like, great, 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 great grandma was a prostitute? What's going on? So beyond reason, not just to save or to rescue or to pull out of a, a, a lifestyle, but to actually then say you're a part of my family. Not only are you a part of my family, but I'm going to put you in the line that gets named because I want everybody to know that you're part of my family. That's powerful. Some of you have been through stuff in your life where nobody else wants to name you. Nobody else would put you on their list. You can come, but they're not going to point out that you're part of the family. You show up at the family reunion, you can go in the back and get a piece of chicken, but you're not, not, hey, they're here. He puts her in. It's beyond reason. It doesn't make sense. Mary, this is Mary Magdalene. She had seven spirits in her, seven demons. She was tormented. And who knows why? Who knows what was done to her to cause that? Or who knows what she did to cause that? We don't know. It doesn't tell us. 
point is that she was suffering and she was, had demonic oppression and all these things going on. And not only does Jesus deliver her, but he goes beyond reason, not just deliverance, not just helping her, but allows her to become a part of his ministry. The Bible says that she traveled with him, that she helped support financially, and that she helped in the ministry. So she's helping with the ministry. She's helping support. She's there at the crucifixion. She's faithful all the way through. When he rises again, she's the first one to go back and tell the other people that he's risen. She's the first witness of the resurrection. That's not just like being saved, like the most important moment in human history where God's love is the most revealed and his power is the most revealed. He says, you know what? I want you to be my messenger. The lady that everybody thinks was crazy. It's beyond reason. It doesn't make sense. But it's what he did. And so we look at the thief. This is the thief on the cross. He looks over at Jesus and he's talking to him. This is a guy that's done bad things. He's a criminal. He's been hanging on a cross for a reason. They didn't just put innocent people up there. Jesus was innocent, but they put bad people up there. He's up there because he's a bad man. He's robbed somebody, maybe killed somebody to take their stuff. Who knows? But he's not a good person. He's hanging there. He looks at Jesus. He realizes that he's God. He says, will you remember me when you get to paradise? And Jesus says, you'll be with me. For what reason? He's done nothing. He has not gotten off that cross and went and helped somebody. He hasn't restored anything. He's made nothing right. Whoever he robbed is still robbed. And Jesus says, you'll be with me. Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. It's not reasonable. What's even less reasonable is that he's going into the same paradise as the Mary we just talked about before. That's the Mary who walked away from everything once she was healed and spent the rest of her life studiously and faithfully following Jesus, learning from him, helping him, giving her money, showing up to everything. I'm always here. Like, I'm, this is me. I'm right in the, I'm in the thick of it. Always being there. Who stood at the cross when everyone else fled. She was still there watching and identifying with him. When all the men ran away, she was still there. Talk about faithfulness, even in the midst of that. The one that was the first at the tomb because she was checking up on his dead body. That faithfulness. And guess what? When she died and when this thief died, guess where they both went? They went to the same paradise. The guy who had done nothing. He never made it to a Sunday service. He never went to a community group. He never put a dollar in the blue box. He might have robbed the blue box. He was a thief. But he put his faith in Christ and suddenly they both walk in the gate and they turn around and they look at each other and they're like, how did you get here? This is what grace is. It's an unreasonable thing that we try to have reasoning about, but it's just really not reasonable. Peter denied Jesus three times, totally betrayed him. Jesus, who had called him, given him a purpose in life, walked with him, loved him, cared for him. Jesus is in his greatest hour of need, going to the cross, and Peter, the strong one, runs away and denies him. Not only does he, he says, I never even knew him. Have you ever been in a hard season of life where you need support? People are talking bad about you. Things are going bad. Your finances are in trouble. Your marriage is in trouble. Uh, 
And there's somebody that's been close to you, walked with you, you've had them in your inner circle, you've had dinner with them, you've broken bread over the fire, you, you've spent time, you, you've, you've poured everything out to them, they poured it back to you, and the moment of need, you turn to them, because they're the ones that are going to be there, and their answer is, I don't even know you. I'm not here to help you. That's the worst betrayal that you can have. Like, if I ever needed you, I needed you now and you're gone. And you're talking like I don't exist. It happens in marriages, it happens in families, it happens in business partnerships, it happens in churches, it happens all the time. And people have been through this. What did he do with Peter? When Peter came back to him after the, after the resurrection, after the hard time, he comes back and he's talking to Jesus and Jesus says, do you love me? Well, the answer is no. Not love. Do you like me? Do you want to hang with me? Do you kind of like some of the stuff I talk about? Sure. Do you love me? In my book, no. You left when I needed you. And I have felt that way when people have left me when I needed them. And I'm already messed up. There's probably a good reason they left me. Jesus wasn't messed up. It really wasn't his fault. He didn't do it. And I could in my mind go, I feel this way, but honestly, I know that I got messed up problems, so they probably a good reason they left. I can probably make sense of it, so I got to just let it go, and hopefully I can get better, they can get better. But Jesus, it was just straight betrayal. And what does he say to Peter? Do you love me? Peter says, well, of course. Of course. Yes, you know. He says, you know I love you. That's actually what he says. Oh, you know I love you. Jesus asked him three times. Betrayed him three times, he asked him three times. So put a little bit of salt in there. But then he just says, if you love me, feed my sheep. The most important thing that Jesus had was his people. That's what he just died for. So what did he do to Peter who totally betrayed him and left him? He turned around and he trusted him with the most valuable thing that he had. Why? That makes no sense. Completely unreasonable. Let him come back, but don't let him be a part of. There's no sense in it. The last one is Paul. Paul actually was killing Christians and hauling them out and having them killed. And Jesus called Paul personally Paul says here, if you read in Galatians, he said, I didn't receive the gospel from men. I received it from revelation from Jesus. Jesus came personally and talked to Paul and saved him out of being a murderer. Persecuting other Christians, his children, the people he loved. That's not reasonable. So when we think about life and we think about the people that we interact with and we think about the people that we are having our lives, whatever level we might be on, whoever we might be in the story or whoever they might be in the story, I just want us to think about and open our mind and our heart and allow God to start working our heart and our mind like, Lord, what is this grace? It's a spiritual thing that we have to understand because we don't get it mentally. But Lord, what is this? And how do you even have like, how do I have this touch to get walked on or abused all the time? Like, what is this? And allow God to work in us. So we're going to take a few minutes right now and just break up into our prayer huddles. 
We're only spend about five minutes doing this. But this is what I want you to pray together. Just look, we're gonna look around, find four or five people to huddle up with. And we're specifically just taking a few minutes to pray that over the next month, that God will help us in our mind and in our hearts and our spirit have a revelation of what his grace is really about. It's a deeper understanding of it, a deeper revelation of it, because this is what we're called to live out and to walk in. So we can stand up, look around, let's find a couple people, and then we're going to go to our ice cream party. I'll break this off in a minute. We'll do a closing prayer. Uh, but this is part of being a family and being connected. It's not just a show. We're not just coming in for a presentation, but we're coming together. We're bearing each other's burdens. We're lifting each other up. And so I want us to pray and just ask, God, help me to get a better revelation of this. Help me to understand this. You might be praying with somebody that's going through an abusive situation. You might be praying for somebody that has been an abuser. You might be praying with somebody who is going through a difficult time of betrayal. We don't know, but we are just asking God to help us to have a greater understanding and a greater revelation of his grace. Amen? Take a few minutes to pray for that, and then we'll close out together. the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.